All right, we're back. Um, five months. Happy. Well, I guess it's technically not a birthday, but I was going to say happy birthday. You have to be doing that for a year. Five months, though. What five a months. Um, it's been a it's been a ride. We got more to go. Um, I'm going to do a heavy, 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 heavy um, recap. Obviously, uh, March Madness on the uh, typically what's reserved for football, uh, which is uh, we can recap there. Got buy or sell, and um, it's going to be a good show. So I, I'm, I'm excited. Um, Elite Eight, uh, Monday and Tuesday, which is uh, different, but uh, puts them in prime time, which is awesome. Quite a weekend already, only to be followed by more basketball last night and tonight now as you all listen to this. But I, I think the most ridiculous thing that I've seen is the graphic for the Elite Eight teams. Because this is not who anybody expected in the Elite Eight. And I love that. Well, the women's side, too. Um, I've been, I, I, I try to watch, you know, not like, not like the men's tournament, but I try to watch, like, bits and pieces of women's games once it gets to the Sweet 16. Mm -hmm. Because the first two rounds, let's be honest, like, it's kind of a wash because teams just blow each other out of the water. But the women's side of Elite Eight is kind of surprising, too. I did not expect Texas to come back and win last night, but you know, whatever you UConn seems dominant. I could not believe they beat Iowa this past weekend. That game was not as close as everyone hoped. And it's, it's, I mean, it's UConn. So we can't say we're overly shocked to see South Carolina, Stanford, <clears throat> Baylor, the, you know, staple programs with good, with good backgrounds in the sweet 16, but or in the elite eight, I should say, but you got to feel good for teams like Texas. So yeah. even men's and women's both, it's uh it's an exciting time for college basketball. Yeah. Before we get started on buy or sell, uh, Shaka smart leaving Texas to go to Marquette, kind of a nice little uh, nugget over the weekend. And Chris Beard is the favorite now to go to Texas. What, what's going on in the big 12? No idea. No is idea. Bob going to Iowa state. <laughs> Uh, maybe he's going back to Cincinnati. Who knows? Maybe he's going back to Kansas State. His, yeah. his one-year stop. So, buy or sell, man, it, it's it's awesome to see how Disney breaks the internet down with the announcement, not even like a release date or anything, just an announcement of the official cast for Obi-Wan on Disney Plus, the miniseries. But but as someone who reads Star Wars blogs, and by the way, for all you people out there who like to send me DMs uh, ripping on my Star Wars, <laughs> I don't care, okay? Send care. me a DM and rip me on my trading cards. Give so, Ryan a break. And by the way, they, they think that people like myself – I don't think this is just going to be a mini series because I feel like what's going to happen is it's going to be so successful. They're going to do maybe one more season. Uh, the only time where something has been so successful where they haven't done multiple seasons, WandaVision that's already done that it's never going to happen a second season, but then Watchmen on HBO was the same way, but here the, here's the official cast. 
Ewan McGregor played Obi-Wan. We know that. Hayden Christensen played Anakin in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, coming back as Darth Vader. That broke down the internet two months ago. Joel Egerton, who I don't know how to describe Joel Egerton to people, but he's been in good projects. Um, he's been in Academy, Academy Award and Emmy, Emmy nominated films, uh, Emmy nominated films, Emmy nominated shows, excuse me. Moses Ingram, uh, Indra Varma, who was on Game of Thrones, uh, Kumil Najami, who, what's happened to him? I, I know you probably don't know who uh, he is, but he was on Silicon Valley, one of the best written shows, didn't give, get as much love as it should have at times. And he's going to be in the Marvel movie Eternals later this year. Now he's going to be in this Bonnie Pieces, Rupert Friend, Benny uh, Salvadid, Simone Kessel, uh, Soon Kang, and Shay Jackson. Production starts very, very, very soon. Buying it. Um, I do wish we knew who certain people are playing, but I mean, I guess it's kind of a no brainer that we, at least we have the two, but for them to put Hayden Christensen, like on the front and center of the casting announcement tells me that he's not going to just be a cameo type fan service thing where it's, he's still going to be a fan service role player because he's playing, returning as Darth Vader. But in the words of Amin, it kind of diminishes when he met Darth Vader in the first film. I know that was never the intention to make a bunch of Star Wars after the first one, uh, except for the first trilogy for George Lucas, but we'll see what happens. I'm very intrigued. I think, as I've said before, when you put the name behind Star, when you put the name Star Wars behind something, it's almost destined to succeed. So even just when, when you get to a point in your shows where you're announcing the cast, and people were breaking it down to even, you know, what we're doing, saying, like, this is the cast. You know that this is going to be something successful. People are going to tune into this, and people are going to be ready for it. There will be people that say, oh, I don't know how I feel about this cat. And that's fine. That's going to happen in everything. That happens in every movie, every show that happens. You don't know how you feel about a certain uh, member that's cast as a as a part or something. But it's star wars it's it's going to continue to break down the internet people are going to continue to tune into it regardless of who plays who and to be honest it should because they've they've continued on this road with the mandalorian and other movies that they've made that even when people will say i don't know how i feel about this one they're still watching the next thing so the casting is important sounds like it's going to be a good cast for this i don't think people are going to care time whenever the actual show comes out because they're still going to watch it anyway and they're still going to fall right in line with the star wars love and I, I think you might even fall into that too well yeah i mean i have another tattoo scheduled at some point um this summer i forget the i forget the date but it is in the books for another star wars tattoo so yeah i'm all for it i, I do want to ask you <clears throat> do want to ask you this because i was thinking about this today when this torched the internet um Remember how Game of Thrones, and I know you didn't watch Game of Thrones, remember how it lit the world on fire for all the hype leading into the last season, but it wasn't really like that for any other season, but it was like everyone was talking about it over and over and over. It's, is, it's all you could hear about. Is Disney Plus going to be like that with every show they do? Because WandaVision came out, it crashed the internet twice on their servers 
Falcon and Winter Soldier has been successful, like massively successful, crashing the servers once. Is it just going to keep happening where it's hit after hit, or is it sometimes the properties that they own, people are so invested that it's just going to continue to knock it out of the park for them, and it's almost going to be like Game of Thrones-esque for every Disney Plus show going forward? Eventually, they're going to have to fail on something because not everything can continue to top the trends that they have. So I think as long as they keep their, keep their, as you mentioned, their foot's dipped in those properties that they own with Star Wars and Marvel, I, I mean, you can put out everything that's successful. Now, some things will inevitably not be as good as the other. I'm sure people watch episodes of, of WandaVision and, and Mandalorian and other shows alike and say, I don't like that one as much. But overall, you're still going to enjoy it inevitably they're going to put out something bad at some point but right now they're pretty much riding the hot hand and you can't blame them especially whenever you own probably the two biggest properties in the world right now it but you're right the game of thrones i remember when that happened even as somebody who didn't watch it everyone was like the last season the last season the last season that's where we're at with disney plus right now they they make one move and everyone's falling onto them so all the power to them they're they're moving in the right direction and uh, do you have those updated streaming numbers yet? Because Disney Plus has to be getting close to top in the world, right? Well, they they uh, haven't had recent ones since they hit the 100 mil mark, but they did raise their subscription price this uh, past weekend, which isn't shocking. When you have 100 million people, you have to cave at some point to continue to meet the, the demand. And also... One of the Disney Plus shows that's coming out later this summer, there hasn't been a trailer dropped or anything, or maybe it's in the fall, but is uh, Monsters, Inc. It's going to be like um, Monsters, Inc., but like a a TV show instead of the movies. And, hey, I don't care, man. Monsters, Inc. is one of the the better movies um, that Disney did as animation. And uh, I'll watch that, too. I don't care. Yeah, actually, Monsters, Inc., if if I'm being honest, whenever I, you know, we talked about comfort shows, People also have comfort movies, ones that you can just put on, you know exactly what's going to happen and you just watch through it. Monsters, Inc. would probably be in my my list of that. Actually, that's one of the ones that I continue to just, I don't watch it repeatedly on Disney+, Plus. but if I just need to put a movie on and have background noise or like fall asleep to something, Monsters, Inc. is a pretty easy choice because that's that's one of the kings, especially of the Disney Pixar animation. It's it's one of my favorites. Yeah, Mike, Mike, uh, Mike Siskowski. There's a, that, that opening training scene is what still gets me every time whenever he's training with Sully and he's like pushing the bed across. He's got Mike Wazowski on it. And yeah. Fight yeah. that plaque. Fight that plaque. Right. Three monsters don't have plaque. Right. Oh, the memories of childhood that still haunt me to 27 today. Fabulous. So my first one is, is something that we've talked about on this show before, but has really been flooding my Twitter feed the last week or two weeks or so now. And it's something that I feel is completely silly. I sell it. I think it's stupid. But yet we continue to see it on Twitter every single day. Do you buy or sell anything regarding these 40 times when it comes to watching players at their pro days? No, that's a huge sell. That's almost like a sell the farm type situation because 
it's so stupid. I mean, Darius Hayward Bay ran a four, four, six or four, seven. That's a perfect example. Chris Johnson ran one of the fastest 40 times in history and he had a 2000 yard season. He was a very good, he was a good running back. He wasn't great, <clears throat> but I mean, 40 times don't matter to me, by the way, I, the combine, I don't even remember that being on TV this year. No, I, I don't think it was. And it was in a different model because of the COVID restrictions and such. One of the ones that I have seen a lot about, and, and I, I know some of this is because I follow heavily more Steeler news than others. Uh, Javante Williams, the running back from North Carolina that we talked about back during college football season, he ran up, I believe it was a four, five, seven, 40. And people were just all over this. How can you draft a running back at a four, five, seven? How can you, you know, that's slow. We don't want that to be the right. How can we, do? it doesn't matter. If, if I'm not mistaken, Alvin Kamara ran a 40 yard dash that was slower than that. And you know where that's gotten him? to be one of the best running backs in the NFL. 40 time is the most overrated statistic in, in, in the NFL, in the NFL training, in the NFL combines. If you are exclusively looking at 40 times, you, you just don't understand the game. I, I think that's just a metric to obviously just see how quickly you can dead sprint and the speed that players have. Uh, the most recent example, you talk about Chris Johnson and Darius Hayward Bay, certainly good examples, but the guy who set the record, John Ross, 4-2-2-40, he's the most injury-prone receiver in the league. You, you wouldn't even know he still plays in the NFL. It Here's what I think about combines. I watch the combine. I'll watch – sometimes I'll tune in for a pro day. Like I saw, I saw a little bit of Trevor Lawrence because everyone, you know, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, you know best quarterback since Andrew Luck and, and, you know, he, he's going to be the next Peyton Manning, da, da, da. Here's what I, here's what I know about pro days. Jamarcus Russell had one of the best pro days in the history of the NFL. That, that is still talked about as terrible as he was as right behind Ryan Leaf is the worst quarterback ever drafted. People still talk about his pro day as the best thing they have ever seen from a scouting perspective. That is that is all you need to know. I mean, Jameis Winston had a fantastic pro day. And, I mean, he's over there eating W's on the sideline now. So, uh, served with a nice piece of humble pie. So, <laughs> that that's what I think about pro days and combines. You know who – you know the only players that I think should be – now, this would be – this is kind of the, like, the ultimate slap in the face move. The only people that I feel like should ever be required to run the 40-yard dash – are those players you know you're going to draft in like the fourth round and beyond that are going to be your special teams gunners? I only want to know how fast my special teams guys can run 40 yards downfield because they're going to be on the kickoff team and the punt team. I'm not necessarily concerned how quickly my offensive tackle can run 40 yards downfield because I would hope that the running back is outrunning him anyway. I'm not concerned about how fast – the lateral speed of a receiver for 40 yards might happen, what, three or four times a game at best, depending on how fast of a deep threat you have. I'd rather know how quickly my third-string linebacker can run down the field because, well, he's going to be on punt coverage, not like my starting running back would be. I just – when it comes to combines and pro days, there has to be a give and take. Like I want to see actual drills and I know you're still throwing or catching or running routes, doing whatever in shorts and, and t-shirt, but those are the things, but it, it all comes down to tape. 
That's why I always chose NFL Network over ESPN because Mel Kuyper, I don't care about his opinion anymore. I mean, I'm sure he's a nice guy. I would love to have him on one day, but I don't care about his opinion when it comes to this guy over this guy in the draft because when he tells me Aaron Curry is going to be one of the best linebackers in the NFL that the game has, and he's telling me Jimmy Clausen is going to be an all, you know, pro type of $100 million quarterback, neither of those things, you know what I mean, and just keep losses after that. Todd McShay doesn't have that. And Mike Mayock didn't have that. And it's still kind of crazy that Mike Mayock is one of those guys that went straight from broadcasting to a front office role, similar to um, similar to Mark Jackson is the one that comes to mind. Steve, I was going to say Steve Kerr, but Steve Kerr was in the front office at Phoenix and then went to broadcasting. But Mike Mayock knew his stuff in the same way with Daniel Jeremiah on NFL Network. If you watch Daniel Jeremiah and Todd McShay, they both are telling you pretty much the exact same thing, just in great detail. Mel Kuyper's telling you, eh, no, take this guy. So that that's where it comes for draft analysis for me. Like I would rather watch highlights or tapes versus uh, this guy. He's running a great route today at his pro day. The, the problem is, and you're exactly right, the problem is, is we put way too much weight on what a guy does in shorts. But when you put the pads on him, how does he perform? I'd rather have a guy who performs out of this world on a football field and doesn't test well, i.e. the guy that comes to mind is DK Metcalf. Everyone made such a big deal about his three-cone drill a couple years ago, and how could you ever have a three-cone drill as bad as lineman? You know what? I don't care whenever he's mossing receivers in the end zone on a weekly basis. I would rather have a guy that plays well. And, and look, the, the other thing that I think people don't understand about this, and we've talked about it at length before too, so I'm not going to beat a dead horse, Scouting is not a three-month thing. These teams already have an idea of what they're looking at in players and what they want in players years before. There was the story about the Steelers a couple years ago, and, and of course I use examples I know, but when they traded up to draft Devin Bush, that was not a, oh, well, we really liked what we saw last year. They knew about and wanted to draft Devin Bush for about two years prior, but obviously he wasn't draft eligible. That's how the NFL process works. So really for the fans that are sitting on the sidelines saying, well, I don't know about his 40 time. These actual scouts and people that are watching it, they don't care about their 40 times either. Just, just so everyone's aware, but that's, that's where I, that's where I digress. I'll finish with my last point by saying this. I remember watching ESPN because I still will flip back and forth to get who thinks, you know, what the pick is. And I remember Jadavian Clowney gets drafted number one overall. I, I look at ESPN real quick. Mel Kuyper's saying, this is a great, this is by far going to pay off years down the road. I turn on NFL Network. Mike Mayock and Daniel Jeremiah are saying, he's the best player on the board, but he's injury prone. That, that, that's the kind, the kind of stuff I'm saying. And like, he's been injury prone. So, um, DC Comics. Um, a lot of, a lot of interesting things. Um, I, I feel like I'm going to buy it because Suicide Squad drops a trailer looks way better than the first one. By the way, the first one, um, if I give it a rating out of 10, I'd put it at like a 1.5, the first Suicide Squad. Um, and this is a, this is not a sequel. This is a reboot, um, which is kind of wild to say, right? It's 2021. The first one came out in 2016 and they had to reboot it. That's how much they believe in the property though at Warner's. Black Adam, Dwayne Johnson, 
drops a crazy announcement yesterday that it's going to come out in July of 2022 instead of December, which a lot of people thought. And then uh, Amber Heard, um, Mara, um, she she posted on Instagram how uh, excited she is. Everyone is loving her in the Snyder Cut. And the Snyder Cut's been like awesome for people. Everyone wants like a DC Comics, but Zack Snyder version like a Marvel universe, but just all done by Zack Snyder. So I feel like I'm buying it. I mean, Suicide Squad look, uh, looks pretty, looks a lot better. Looks a lot better. John Cena as a comic book character, I, I don't know if I've ever seen a perf- more perfect fit than him. Maybe the only other person that like feels as good as they do as a comic book character, uh, like in a role, is Margot Robbie as Har- Harley Quinn. And she's in this uh, again. And then Dwayne Johnson as a comic book character. I mean, the dude's going to be, what, probably benching 600 pounds and, and you know, punching villains. Well, I mean, The Rock and John Cena, if you think about it, professional wrestlers are like the perfect characters for yeah. comic book movies because they're kind of built like comic book characters anyway. I mean, there's there's not really a, a you know, I call it a sport because those guys are athletes and, and females. Everyone's an athlete in that sport you have to be chiseled to some degree to, to be able to be athletic enough to do it. So of course the rock and John Cena are good enough to do it. But look, I, I think with DC, I think there's a almost a, what's the best way to say it, a, a movement to keep up at this point because Marvel and DC are kind of like we just talked about kind of owning the universe. So DC is still living in its own world and still successful. They have some work to do in, in the catching up. And Suicide Squad, although I didn't see it, I only heard bad things. I, I didn't hear anybody come overtly out and say how much they loved it. Now, I'm, I've, I've said this too. I'm a fan of the Joker. I'm, I'm kind of a Fairweather fan when it comes to superhero movies and, and villains and such. I love the Joker. So I loved Heath Ledger's Joker. The Joaquin Phoenix one was good. Now, whenever they had the Jared Leto one come out in the first cut, the scenes that they showed, you're like, oh, okay, like this might actually be something. And then when the movie comes out, people are like, yeah, it was on screen for like a minute and 30 seconds total. I, I don't know how much it actually was, but it was a very short amount of time. So, but this means that this reboot can only be better, right? Because the first one was so terrible. So it, you're right. It is weird that we're talking about rebooting a movie that's what, five, six years old. But at the same time, if you're going to strike out like that, give it to the mind of somebody else who might have a better mind to move it forward. Um, and, and I'm going to be honest here. I'm not familiar with Black Adam, the character. Could, could you give me a little bit more on that? Is he a comic book character? Yeah, he, he is a comic book character. I don't really know how to describe it like on a basic level. Mm-hmm. But the, I'll do my like, research. The best way I can describe it is he's, he's very powerful. Um. I mean, I guess the best way to also describe it, it's similar. Um, well, you, I doubt you've probably seen that because you haven't seen Forrest Gump. So, no, yeah, I guess I guess I can't really describe it in detail. But on a basic level, he he's um, a, a very strong, strong comic book character. Okay, so I'm, I'm reading a little bit here, and this makes sense. Fictional supervillain and antihero appearing in comic books. Okay. I just, I, again, I'm, I will fully admit and not pretend to know, like I know a lot about comic books. So definitely a name that I've not heard. Um, I, I think the rock is one of those other actors though. Whenever you kind of say, 
oh, he's going to do something, even if it, it could be potentially terrible. Now, I'm not suggesting this will be terrible, but when you put his name and associate, there's going to be that crowd that follows him because they love The Rock and they love what he does. So there might be some weight behind this. And, and I think it might be interesting to see how the comic book community responds to this. Because if I'm not mistaken, this is the first kind of comic book thing that he's done as a character. Yeah, first ever. Uh, pretty much all that he's done before this is action or comedy. Yeah, uh, definitely, a, definitely a step up from Tooth Fairy. Oh, dude. I, I feel bad that he did it. I really do. He made his money off of it. That's that's sometimes how you have to look at it. But you know, it's a great rock movie that now I know there's a lot of them that people like and such, but the one and I'm going to show my sports side here again, and I don't care. Gridiron Gang is a highly underrated movie in the sports realm. That is a fantastic movie that I wish people had seen more. I love that movie. Yeah, exhibit those um, a second leading actor. Um, he like he was great in that film. Like both guys, exhibit the Rock. Um, and then I, you know, I don't. I know that it was based on a true story, but it was it was a fantastic film. I'm a sucker for based on a true story. That's a that's where you can usually get me in it. But hey, DC has to keep up in the world, so. Looks like they have a lot to look forward to coming into 21 as well. So keep your eye on uh, keep your eye on DC and if they snatch the Zack Snyder cut away from Marvel to get them to do their own. By the way, Gridiron Gang, if I was to give it, I, I really do think it's a good movie. Four out of ten. Okay. I give I give everything a ten out of ten, but that's because I'm a terrible rating system. Somebody once asked me, he's like, have you ever thought about being a food critic? I was like, I'd be a terrible food critic because I've never really had a lot of food that I don't like. So yeah, what, I, what's the point of being a critic if I can't be critical? Yeah, when I watch Top Chef, I'm like, I wonder if they would critique it if they didn't know the ingredients because I love Top Chef and I've just been binge watching that and a bunch of other stuff. By the way, I'm in 1987 in Saturday Night Live, so... But I, I wonder if uh, they would be able to tell, like, and critique a dish if they didn't know the ingredients. Yeah, I mean, I just eat whatever you put in front of me. I mean, that's just kind of the bottom line. It, everywhere it tastes good to me. So my, my palate is not sophisticated. But all right, so it, this is kind of an age-old debate, one that we've uh, even had a little bit on this show before, but just it's one of the things that turns me off from the NBA and it's the building of super teams and what the Nets have now done by signing Blake Griffin. Um, and then who was the other player? I'm blanking. I thought I wrote it down, but I didn't. Who did they just sign? Uh, well, Andre Drummond went to the Lakers. Andre Drummond went to the Lakers. Um, but I mean, you can even make the same argument that he was the other player that I, I know that I had in mind going to the Lakers. Uh, kind of building that back up for what will be a playoff run whenever everybody's healthy. But, you know, the, the building of super teams is something that I, I, I don't necessarily agree with. I don't necessarily like, I understand that um, basketball has given players more freedom in that regard, but I, I'm selling the idea of super teams in Brooklyn and in LA again, because I don't really want to go back to what, what it was the Cleveland and golden state finals for four straight years. I'm not necessarily interested in seeing that again. 
Uh, but I feel like that's where we're moving with what Brooklyn's done with their moves and signing Blake Griffin, uh, also trading for James Harden alike. But the the Lakers too, we, we know that they were a good team, but signing a great rebounder like Andre Drummond kind of only furthers that. Look, I, I think we're pretty much going to see a, a, a Nets and Lakers final. If, if there's anybody else out there that can make a competition, let me know. But that's, I, I, I do not like the super team deal. I do not like these signings. I'm, I'm, I'm selling this NBA season. Well, the Knicks are going to be in the finals, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, <laughs> they're still the best team in New York. Yeah, we're still the best team in New York. I, uh, we knew if, if you didn't see this coming and people like, what if I follow the first take on Instagram, I don't watch the show because I'm usually, you know what I mean? I'm usually not able to watch it and I'm typically watching other stuff anyway, but people were like talking about Stephen A's Ray and how he's hitting the, uh, it on hitting the nail on the head with his take on the nets and how he hates super teams. Look, man, if you didn't expect this when LeBron went to Miami a decade, 11 years ago, whatever it was now, then what are you doing? Because it's not the first time it's happened. It's not going to be the last. And when LeBron went to Miami, that's when everything blew the door open. I'm telling you, if he would have never went to Miami, I guarantee you it wouldn't have happened for another couple of years. Maybe not until KD goes to the Warriors because we know that it's going to happen. You have to learn to live with it. You have to learn to deal with it. It makes competition suck. It makes parity sucks and uh, suck in the NBA. I mean, is it a super team though? Blake Griffin, he's a very good player. He's an all-star, but he's not what he once was. I mean, there's a reason Detroit traded him and there was a reason he got traded to Detroit in the first place. And let's look, let's look at it on, on a smaller scale too. Kawhi Leonard went to Toronto by himself because he got traded there. The dude won a title by himself. By himself with Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, Pascal, uh, uh, Pascal Siakam, who has really taken a massive drop-off since Kawhi left and somehow got a massive contract extension. But, I mean, it's just – it is what it is. And the Warriors, when Clay comes back healthy next year, are, are is anyone going to be shocked in calling them a super team again if – Draymond, Clay, and Steph are just torching the NBA again, or at least a three or four seed in the West? No. So it is what it is. People have to learn to deal with it. And, you know, I'm sorry, but, like, if the Nets win the title, it's all about the ring anyway for guys these days. So they're not going to care. Well, I think the NBA is kind of the ultimate example now of, of number one, the player freedom that we've talked about. Uh, by the way, the other player was LaMarcus Aldridge. I just looked it up, and I, I've forgotten of him going there. I knew that there was the rumor of Andre Drummond, but it is LaMarcus Aldridge. I apologize to all of our listeners that I'm, I'm not the best basketball guru. But the other thing that it does is you're right. It, it just kind of pronounces that they want the ring to be in the, the great conversations, right? Because that, that's almost what it feels like to me. Everybody chases the ring now. But it's, it's not built up through time. It's, it's not like you're – obviously, the guys in Toronto had it a little bit easier, right, where they just kind of bring in Kawhi and they build around that for that season and they win a title. It also helps that the, the Warriors had some injuries that year too going into the finals, and, and it wasn't a 100%. But it's not, like they, it's not like they went out and had all these superstars come in. They had 
I don't want to call them average players, above average players, and got one of the best in the game in Kawhi, and there's your champion. But it feels like every other year it's not necessarily like that. You guys, you have guys taking a little bit less money to win the rings. But I think what people have to understand too is, is it's not like these guys aren't making their money. That's the other thing you have to understand is they might be taking a little bit more on the court or a little bit less on the court. James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie, they're all making money in endorsements and shoe deals. And it's the same with LeBron and everybody in the West too. The superstars are going to still have the money. So they almost have the ability to chase that now because there's so much money in everything else and the rights and endorsements that these guys have that the NBA has almost kind of created this. And I'm not even necessarily saying I don't personally like it, but I'm not even necessarily saying it's a bad thing because that just means that the NBA is successful and that players, they can take a little bit less on the court because they have all these other streams of income. It's also more marketing because right. for te- for fans of teams like myself, hey, you play the, the, uh, the Brooklyn Nets tonight. Okay, you got to get up for that game, even if it's in February or January, if you're you're an actual fan of that team and you're like rooting to hate hate the other team. By the way, your Kawhi point, it wasn't as easy as you made it seem to be because that's one of the best sports moments ever. If it isn't for the ball bouncing on the rim four times, they're not even in the finals. Like, I mean, it, it is the craziest thing. You know, I might watch that video later tonight because that's a wild video when the that ball bounces out for a game. But, I mean, it is what it is, and we have to learn to deal with it. I mean, in, in the bigger scheme of things, I mean, Houston, they lost James Harden. John Wall is, like, non-existent down there. They had a 20-game losing streak. People aren't even talking about the Miami Heat. Miami has Jimmy Butler, Victor Oladipo, Bam Adebayo. I mean, that's a powerful threesome to take on the Nets. And people forget about Milwaukee. Like, hello, Giannis is still up there in Milwaukee, so – um, my last buy or sell. I feel like I'm buy- I'm gonna buy this. Mighty Ducks had a TV show come out on Disney Plus this past weekend, and I did watch it, and I'm buying it. Uh, this is not you know my a story from the entertainment side. This is really my my own personal thing, but. I didn't think this would be something that I was would be interested in. But coming from the perspective, the way they did compared to the movie, at least in the first episode, is actually pretty fascinating. You know, you still you still falling in love with the lo- uh, lovable losers in the in the first episode or whatever, and the kids are you know trying to put together a team and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, I feel like I'm buying this My- Mighty Ducks uh, TV show. They just released a picture not too long ago with those from the original cast. And that's another one of those, if you'd like to feel old moments where you see everybody and you're like, oh, yeah, I, I didn't need that. I definitely didn't need that. But the TV show, though, um, this is, I think, just another instance of, well, capitalizing on what's popular and, you know, go for it. I absolutely understand that. I think that this is an opportunity to... Um, so, so one thing that we that I don't think we've necessarily talked about when it comes to like this isn't obviously a reboot because there wasn't a TV show before, but kind of the idea of of bringing back and, and rehashing these old stories. There's another side to it too that I don't think people talk about, and that's the kind of giving it to a new generation type deal. 
because when, when you watch an older movie, when you watch an older TV show, sometimes you don't fall in love with it the same way because you're not used to, I mean, let's face it, even something as, as dumb as like, oh, you can tell that this is old because of the way it's shot. People are smart these days. We're not undermining that, but kind of giving it to a new generation saying like, hey, this is a different way that we can present this to you and kind of give you that information, but give you a great story too, because I think this is a story that's worth being told again. And TV shows kind of seem to be the way of doing it. So all the power to you, Disney Plus. Keep running the world. I don't care that it's a kid's show either. Like, I, I enjoyed the Mighty Ducks movie as a kid. So, yeah, I'm going to want, like, I watched the show. And, okay, you know, if, if it's not good in two or three episodes, I'll stop. But for now, I'm, I'm, I'm buying it because I enjoy it. I mean, the movie... What made the movie came out what in the early 90s right it, it definitely was an early 90s late 80s movie the first one and they did two other two, uh, mighty ducks two and three which i didn't see those but i mean you know the mighty ducks yeah i mean that's uh that's that's still one of the popular um hockey jerseys of the day right people will obviously they have their favorite hockey teams all you know 200 hockey fans in north america but Everybody still wears the Mighty Ducks jerseys around and they still fall in love with those characters. Uh, it's I've seen that movie, but it has been an it has been a long time. And I'm not sure I even remember the characters at this point. But hey, bring it back, give it to a new generation of people. And look, if there's any opportunity that we can get to put hockey into the mainstream, I'm hundred percent here for it. Yeah, I will say something though that's about to shock you as someone who like basically breeze, eat, sleep, sports, movies, or TV, and just reading and watching stuff constantly. I have never seen The Sandlot. Oh. I've been looking for it on Disney Plus because when I watched Mighty Ducks, the uh, show the other day, I, unless I'm looking in the wrong place, I couldn't find it. I don't think it's a Disney movie. I think it's a, is it a DreamWorks movie. Um, like, I never understood the reference, you're killing me, Smalls. Like, I never understood that. Yeah, I'm not a hundred. Google search is the Sandlot a good movie? It's a great movie. Stop googling that. Um, yeah, I can't remember what it is, but the Sandlot is a. It's a Fox movie. It's a 20th Century Fox movie, so it probably should be on there, shouldn't it? Yeah, because they own 20th Century Fox. So, I mean, I guess that's a movie that I have to watch, especially as a sports guy, like because I've seen Invincible, I've seen Remember the Titans, like two classic sports movies on disney plus cool runnings never seen the same lot though this is a it's it's a very much like a feel-good sports movie kind of takes you back to your childhood stuff you just have to watch it it's it's one of those ones that if if you're a movie person it's it's definitely worth the watch i we i actually watched it my girlfriend and i not too long ago because well it's it's just a classic so sometimes you just turn on the same lot but you're um you'll get into that one i'm sure okay all right so my last one here um so this is another sense of uh i'm not going to claim to know a ton about everything i don't follow this sport as often as i should but what's going on with the united states national men's team i mean it 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 just seems to be every single year, every single time we have a chance to talk about them, it's something negative because 
they're losing and they can't seem to find their way into the Olympics. They can't seem to find their way into the World Cup. They can't seem to build a viable thing. All while the women are dominating everything that they do, top of the line every single year, contenders in every World Cup, everything that they do. And yet we talk about the men's team as an embarrassment. So I'm I've I've had three sells today. So maybe I'm just in a maybe I'm just in a bitter mood, but I'm selling United States men's soccer for for at least the time being. You you gotta have some pride in what you do. And if it's not working, you have to retool something because something along the entire line is not working that is leading us or you know, leading these teams to not be successful. So what is it and when does it change? Well, as someone who's been watching a lot of Premier League, um, I feel like the play on those teams, like Manchester United could beat the U.S. soccer men's team. And I have a U.S. soccer, uh, men's, uh, well, you, let me rephrase that, a U.S. soccer polo. Um, and, and I have U.S. soccer stuff. But as someone who had that game on the other night, it pissed me off. It really did. Like, and I try not to get pissed off in sports, um, it happens, but that pissed me off. I'm so sick of watching them be an embarrassment. And like you talk about the women, we can't even get our girl Megan Rapino or Alex Morgan equal pay or better pay than the men for what they do for the country. Like as far as the revenue they bring in for U.S. soccer in general, it, it's in in um, people have ripped on Alexi Lawless on. Instagram over the weekend because he said that he's embarrassed and he's sick of it. And I mean, he was a, a great captain for the, for the team in the late nineties, early two thousands. So I don't blame him one bit for being pissed. I mean, it feels like an eternity ago, ever since Landon Donovan scored a winner in 2010 and 2014, that they tied two, two with Ghana. Um, mm-hmm the group group stage and I can't remember that I think the last time they made it to the um, round of 16 was 2010 in South Africa I mean it's just an embarrassment it it's so sickening to watch too because they're not even close they're not even close to where they need to be on a professional stage it's it is embarrassing and to tell you the truth the next time I turn on Premier League I'm very interested to hear what Tim Howard has to say because that, that is one guy that I don't follow on social media, but like, I know that he's out there. I'm sure it pisses him off too. I mean, because it, it's just, it's, I don't understand. I really don't. And it's frustrating. I mean, I know that we're not a soccer powerhouse, but you would feel like we're not at the bottom of the barrel like we are. Well, I mean, the, the, there's, there's a lot of things to be made here because I understand soccer globally is, is the biggest sport. So I understand that the not you know, this is kind of a play on words but you know the premier leagues are in europe you know no one is no one is coming to the mls being like oh i gotta light the mls on fire that's usually kind of reserved for the the better than average players and the retirement tours of the best players to give the you know the usa population something to watch fine whatever but the problem is it is it's, it's obviously cared about more as a sport in these other countries. And it's obviously, it's completely viable because you can see it. It's as obvious as day when you're watching all these other countries, Germany and, and so many other countries in Europe and South America. I'm not even going to, <laughs> I'm not even going to try to list them all. But the point is, is the United States should be up there too. 
and and where that line is is i'm not 100 percent sure you know i know that there's the soccer academies that basically lead these uh, younger players up to get to the bigger clubs and and kind of work with them all the way through i know the united states has something of that model it's obviously not the same or we'd probably be a lot closer but uh, th this is another one of those things though i mean yeah the, the united states probably cares more about football and, and basketball and baseball than they do soccer but there's there's no reason that with the talent that comes out of the united states some of our better players that we shouldn't be in the olympics or we shouldn't be in the world cup we should absolutely be there and be regulars in the round of 16, in, in my opinion. We should be a lot better than what we are. Again, I'm not going to claim to know everything and anything about soccer, but the problem is there, there's there's a problem somewhere, or, or we wouldn't even be having this conversation. There's basically a year and a half for them to make the World Cup. I don't think it's going to happen. Well, based on their other performances, I would just go ahead and say it's not going to happen. Ryan, before we get to the second half of the show, you know what I like to do when I'm getting angry, uh, like talking about U.S. soccer and how they disappoint me, is listening to soothing music, um, whether it's uh, some nice early 2000s. I've been listening to jazz recently, which is a little mm -hmm. weird, and I've been listening to um, music um, like jazz and um, R&B, but I do that all on Amazon Music. Yeah, so I haven't returned to my disco playlist since last week. Not completely shocking. Uh, my girlfriend played some acoustic Sam Smith over the weekend. I was actually kind of, I was vibing to that. I, I was getting into that. I like a little acoustic to calm down and such. Uh, but also, too, I'm, I'm back in the festival game. So there's a music festival that said that they're going to do their festival in September. So as soon as that lineup comes out, Every band that I know on that list is going into an Amazon music playlist. Everyone is just getting dumped into the festival playlist. Amazon, if you'd like to do it for me, that would be fantastic. You can just go ahead and make the Louder Than Life 21 playlist so I don't have to do it. But if I have to do it, that's fine. I will dump every single band into that playlist on Amazon music. But that's the glory of Amazon Music. You can listen to whatever you want. You can throw them into playlists. You can shuffle them. You can even listen to the playlists that are catered for you or just the music that you download. But to have that ability, you have to buy Amazon Music and you have to have it installed anyway. So sign up for Amazon Music today. Use the code or use the link, I should say. Get amazonmusic.com backslash to Ryan Sports to sign up today. It's $7.99 a month. You have access to millions of songs, tens of millions of songs. You can listen to jazz. You can throw it in with your early 2000s. Hell, you can even throw it with some massive heavy metal. I think Cannibal Corpse just put out a new album or a new song too. So whatever you want to listen to, put it all in those playlists. Listen along. Get your festival playlist out. Get your jazz playlist out. Sign up today, get amazonmusic.com backslash to Ryan Sports. All right, Ryan, before we do weekend recap, I don't know what Philly's doing, but Miami seems to uh, uh, be building themselves a little empire down there. And they, uh, they made some crazy moves every weekend. necessarily remember a whole lot of trades in my immediate memory that happened this far in advance of the draft 
I, I realize, you know, teams will swap players for picks and such, but like when talking about just the draft capital and, and trading back picks and such, I don't remember this happening a whole lot. Did any other examples come to mind for you? I, it, it just, it eludes me if they have. The RG3 trade. RG3, that's, that worked out. Yeah, yeah. Kyle Shanahan is a great coach, but he was part of that when his dad traded for that. And you would think that he wouldn't want to give up the draft capital that he gave up. Miami is the big winner in all this. It's like Larry Tunsil is the guy that just keeps on giving for the Dolphins because he gets traded from Houston. And Bill O'Brien just has basically given Miami uh, like a silver platter to continue to trade. And you know what? Hot take, crystal ball. I think Miami's going to possibly win the AFC East this year. Because I feel like they're going to take a massive step forward. Dude, all, really all they need is a quarterback. They have talented players. They don't have, you know, A-plus guys, but they have talented guys at every position. If they get a quarterback, who's to say they, they could not win the division? I mean, they're so talented, and they keep stockpiling and stockpiling and stockpiling. And at some point, you have to think it's going to benefit them. A lot of people think, though, that they trade it back because they're going to draft the Devontae Smith. I don't see that happening. I feel like Devontae Smith at this point, um, while he could be a good slot guy that we've talked about before, he's not a number one, and I don't think you would waste a pick that high on him. If anything, they're looking for a guy like maybe like Zach Wilson. I know you just took Tua last year, but it's clear that Tua is not working out for anyone. And <laughs> Zach Wilson seems to be the trendy guy. There's always a trendy guy going into the draft, no matter what position it is. And this year, the trendy guy is Zach Wilson. It just so happens to be he's at quarterback. And everybody, everybody thinks he's going to the Jets. Do you really think the Jets are going to take him that high? I don't know. But, I mean, something has to pay off for him eventually. Because they Brian Flores, I hope he doesn't get fired if he has a bad coaching uh, season this year. Because he was on the verge of the playoffs last year anyway. Well, the, the thing is, is I, <laughs> I sit here a couple weeks ago and talk about how the Dolphins could be the worst team in the league. But this is actually, I think, is a smart move for them because this is the pick that they got from the Texans. So basically, you know, they're, they're not losing anything. They're not really out anything on this. Basically, they're just moving back in, in, in place of owning more capital. But, you know, you talk about having a quarterback and, and you know, they're a quarterback away. But have you ever heard of winning in spite of your quarterback? Because I think one of the teams that they traded with is pretty good at that with San Francisco. There's, there's, a, uh, there's an argument to be made that winning in spite of your quarterback is still popular in the NFL today. Uh, now, obviously, the 49ers didn't win that Super Bowl. Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, the last two Super Bowl winners, two of the, two of the greats. We're, we're not going to get down a complete rabbit hole here, but – you can certainly win with the great defense and without your, without your quarterback really being a superstar. Nobody needs to attire Glavoa to take over these games and be Patrick Mahomes when you can solidify your offensive line, have a good running game and have a good defense. You just need him to be a manager of sorts. So if he can do that, they might be in a good position to continue this forward. And you know, your hot take might not be overly crazy. 
it might put mine from a couple of weeks ago to absolute shame. I wouldn't be, wouldn't be surprised about that at all. But the other side of this too is there's two things that I think about when it comes to this trade. The Penguins just scored live update. Love it. And turn basketball on my phone here shortly. So I have everything going, but um, the two things that I think about, sorry to interrupt the action folks. Number one, the 49ers. So this is basically them saying that they're, they're out here saying that Jimmy G is their guy, but you would only suspect that you would move up this far in a draft like this where quarterback is the most prominent position. I don't think anybody's moving up for a receiver or for an offensive tackle in this draft. There's not those talents that anybody's saying are worth doing that for. And I'm going to be honest. I don't think the quarterback position is worth doing that for. I, I think you might see decent careers. And, and I'll go on record as saying this. Trevor Lawrence will have a, not an average career. He'll be an above average pro bowler. I think of him like an Andrew Luck type. He's not going to be somebody that's setting the world on fire, but will have a good career. I think Justin Fields has his day in the sun too. I know we have kind of been back and forth a little bit on him and potential. I, I don't necessarily look at Trey Lance, Mac Jones, or Zach Wilson and say, there's the next NFL Hall of Famer. Now, they could 1,000% prove me wrong, and, and that's absolutely happened before when it comes to quarterbacks. I don't know if I'm going to trade up that far to take one of those three guys, potentially. I, I just don't think it's worth it. Zach Wilson strikes me as the guy in the draft season where the trendy guy was Ryan Tannehill. Everyone's like, got to take Ryan Tannehill, got to take a flyer on him, so on and so forth. And he could either have a payoff like Ryan Tannehill has right now. Um, I mean, let's be honest, before Miami got rid of him, he was actually pretty decent and they just decided to not re-sign him. And he goes to Tennessee and he ends himself a $100 million contract because he's good. He's not a top 10 guy, but he's like at 11 or 12. He's like on the B, the B tier and he's fantastic. But Zach Wilson strikes me as that guy where if you take a flyer on him and he's in the right system or he's around the right environment, he could be good. But I don't understand why San Francisco continues to hold on and they continue to take the public stance of we're not trading Jimmy G. Right now is the perfect time to trade Jimmy G. You, you have just made this trade and why not take another risk? Get rid of him, cut the contract, and I'm sure New England would take him back. I'm sure New England would love to take him back, to be honest with you. I don't think that's like a far out there thing to say. I mean, Jimmy G just doesn't strike me as this. He used to strike me as the guy that like I thought was the next not great quarterback, but good enough to get you to playoffs and good enough to, you know, win you divisions. But he's not that guy. He's not. I, I really don't think he is. It's just, I don't know what's happening, man. He, he sits on the sideline. He feels, he feels like a college quarterback in a system that the coach doesn't trust him. And I know they, they're a run heavy team anyway, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean that he shouldn't be able to throw the ball. So I think the, I think the problem, I understand that the Patriots would likely take him back, but I think the problem with that right now would just be contractual because then basically what is going to happen is, is whoever, whoever they would trade him to, I would imagine that they're going to, let's say he goes to the Patriots. The Patriots aren't going to want to take up that salary. 
they're going to ask the 49ers to do it because they just signed Cam Newton back. So that's almost an assurance in some senses that Cam Newton will be the starting quarterback going into 2021, you know, however crazy you think that is. But the other problem of it too is a lot of teams in the NFL right now, the majority of them don't necessarily have a quarterback problem. So the, the teams that might be looking for a quarterback um, are the teams up there drafting around the 49ers. So is anybody really going to look at the 49ers and go, this is the argument of, is there somebody in the draft that you think is better than what you could get in Jimmy G? Mm. And based on what we've seen as Jimmy G as a starter, at least with San Francisco, you know, I know I just knocked the quarterback to this draft, but I would almost rather take the risk and see if we can turn out to be something because Jimmy G hasn't proved it to me as a starter in the NFL now, albeit in the Patriot system, won a few games, but, you know, so did everybody else that started over there in the last 20 years, even not named Tom Brady. So I, I might even think that mm, I'd take a shot with Zach Wilson or maybe take a shot with Mac Jones. Even if I'm not thinking mm, they might not be the most NFL ready right now, maybe there's something we can do to develop them longer term. But the thing is, is I don't think the Jets, just for one example, are going to look at the 49ers and go, yeah, your offer for Jimmy G is not enticing whenever I can take one of these younger talents and see what it can be because I know what Jimmy G looks like. Mm. Yeah. Now, yeah. one other thing I got to ask you about on this side too because I've seen a lot of reports of this too. Trading back out of the sixth pick, the Eagles were thinking that they would be able to draft Jamar Chase, but – they're not going to be able to do that. So what, you know, where, where do you lie now in the, what do you want category when it comes to the Eagles? So you beat me to that point. I was actually about to transition to that. Cause that's the second half of the crazy weekend that was in the NFL with, with the draft trades. Mm -hmm. I don't know what we're doing. We are, I've said it before. We are about to hit the rebuild phase. We're about to hit the rebuild phase for the first time since the nineties and if that's what it takes to get things clean on the slate, like our head coach looks like an, a bad used car salesman. I, I don't trust him. I don't trust him at all. I feel like that guy is basically playing out his fantasy as a head coach in draft day. I mean, there he's about to draft Bo Buchanan. I, I mean, he could draft a guy from the March Madness tournament right now in Luke Garza and put him at tight end. I mean, I don't know what this guy's going to do, but I feel like we're, we are about to hit the rebuild phase for the first time since the nineties, eighties and seventies, because really in the, since the two thousands, it hasn't been rebuild. It's been, you know, a down season to, you know, here or there, but it's been mostly constant success or, or, very good success and that that's just not I don't think that's going to happen I don't know who they're going to I don't know why they agreed to my Miami in trading back but I don't know I, I really don't know where they go from here man I truly do not because there's no quarterback there's there is no quarterback mm -hmm. and and they just you know they they're now going to a 17 game season by the way, fun little nugget for you. The Chicago Bears and New York Jets are the only teams in the 16-game 
season modern era of the NFL that never had a 4,000 yard passer at quarterback. It's, it's still crazy to me that the Chicago Bears best quarterback of all time played in the 1940s. That there's not one conversation that you can have about somebody for the Chicago Bears at that position other than Hall of Famer Sid Luckman that is their best quarterback of all time. That is, that to me is just the, I don't even know how to describe it because I have a lot of respect for the, you know, the older age of the NFL and those, those gridiron years, but man, come on. There has to be somebody in the almost what 80 years now since the forties that you could look and say, yeah, we had a great quarterback that put up the, it's just, it's absurd, but I think looking at Philly, I, I think, you know, I almost don't know what this does to him now. I, I think this is a, I think this is a tough move because looking at the sixth spot, you know, you, again, we, we don't necessarily know everything that happens behind the scenes when it comes to these players and the drafting, because like we said, a lot of this happens years in advance. So I think your hope would be that the Eagles already kind of have a plan. And I think most Eagles fans would feel that way. It doesn't necessarily feel like that though, when you're dropping back six spots unnecessarily. Now you get a little bit of help with the capital in return, but doesn't necessarily help you right now, but it feels like the Eagles need help right now, especially with a young quarterback in Jalen hurts. And, and I think that, Folks were saying that, you know, they're looking at Jamar Chase, but we're basically assured that Cincinnati was going to draft him and there was no help of or no hope of jumping over them to get up there higher. So Philly trades back. So this almost makes me feel like they think that they can get a receiver potentially at the 12 spot, but it's not out of the question that Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith are drafted before that which they're probably the next two best receivers on the board. I don't know where Philly goes, but I, I think there's a lot of pieces that need to be put in place and they should have just stayed at six. But now you're, now you're going to have to watch six more players come off the board before you know what Philly's going to take. Last thing I'll say, Jalen Hurts might be starting and he might be the quarterback on paper, but I just don't look at him as – our quarterback yet because he did play well last season, but I, I just, I'm the guy that needs like full, full slate of stuff. Like they used to tell me Kevin Cobb was our quarterback. Well, how did that go? You, you see what I'm saying? Like I, I need a full amount to work with. Get, give me at least a quarter. Give me a quarter. He hasn't even given me a quarter. He's given me like two or three games. Give me a quarter, four games, four games. And then I'll know if, he's my quarterback and he can lead us to where we need to go. Or if we are in the rebuilding phase, like I think we're about to be. Kevin Cobb is funny to me because I've, I've talked about me collecting cards on here a few times, but Kevin Cobb, I think I pulled his autograph or his Jersey card, like three or four times whenever I was collecting, just hoping that he would be the next stud. And there for like two games, I really thought we were onto something and now they're just sitting in a box somewhere that I couldn't even tell you where they are. So yeah. well, welcome to welcome to the Eagles quarterback carousel. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, doesn't shock me. So live update, Houston uh, up 12-4, 13 minutes left in the first half. So 
let's actually work our way from the Midwest up since this game's going on right now between Houston and Oregon State. Let's talk about Houston and Syracuse the other night. Houston, mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I, really, I still don't know what to think of them. I know they're playing in the Elite Eight right behind me here. But this is a team that had ba- a full season because of miraculously no COVID outbreak, which is awesome. You know, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, mm-hmm. they had a full season. But they played against a bad AAC, and they get in the tournament, and they, they are, are winning, and they, and they shouldn't have won that Rutgers game. They really shouldn't have won that Rutgers game. But it feels like the Syracuse matchup will almost benefit them in a way, because if you watch that game early, Syracuse plays well when they can make the passes inside the zone. But when you're Houston on the other side of it and you're playing against Syracuse in the zone, if you just make that extra pass, like Kenny Smith was talking about in the halftime report the other night on the outside to uh, in Houston and you make shots, boom, that's how you beat Syracuse every single time since Jay, Jim Beheim has been the coach. And it was just kind of the same old, same old. Um, I don't really know what to think of them. Still, I mean, if they get to the Final Four, then I'll know what to think of them. They're <laughs> they're a Final Four team, but Oregon State, I I think Oregon State has been one of the best stories in sports in the last five or six months. This is a team that wouldn't have made the tournament had they not win the Pac-12. Had they not win the Pac-12 conference tournament, they're not they're not in the tournament. They're not a bubble team. They're, they're just flatly not in. They played on day one of the Pac-12 against UCLA, who we'll talk about here in a moment, which has been an incredible story in its own right. But Oregon State picked last to finish in the Pac-12. They go 14-12. and 12. They win the Pac-12 tournament. You're like, okay, that's a great story, similar to Georgetown. I'm glad both of these teams had these crazy conference week runs. But unfortunately, I think it's going to end. Now, I picked them in both of my brackets to beat Tennessee because Tennessee last month of the season really struggled. So I think I thought they were going to beat Tennessee. Didn't think they would get past their second game. Then that Loyola Chicago game the other night, if you didn't watch that, shame on you because the way they controlled Loyola Chicago at half court was undeniable. This team, man, I'm telling you, I want them to beat Houston tonight while we're recording this. I don't know if it's going to happen, but there is nothing more that I would love to see than them make the final four. I, I mean, I really do think not just March Madness, it's one of the best stories in sports in the last five or six months, because this is a team that wouldn't have made the tournament, Ryan. They would not have made the tournament had they not won the Pac-12 tournament and they're red hot. They're the as red hot as you can be since UConn, Kimball Walker. That, that's how hot this team is right now. Well, and, and the thing about Oregon State to me, you talk about their hot run. We love the Cinderella teams, right? But typically the Cinderella teams, just for reference to this tournament, are the Oral Roberts of the world, teams that we may not know as well. They're coming out of smaller conferences. Again, we, we don't really know them. This doesn't usually happen with these major conferences. Now, I know we've ragged on the Pac-12, but it never usually happens that the Cinderella of the Pac-12 tournament gets in and makes a long tournament run. They're usually ousted day one. 
you have to feel good for Oregon State and what they've done and kind of meshing at the exact right time to not only win the Pac-12 and make the tournament, but now on the verge of making a Final Four. That is the absolute craziest thing that you could expect because you you wouldn't expect them to win the Pac-12. There's There was no way that you would think that a team in a major conference like that would win it. For all of our listeners that are not familiar with Pac-12 basketball and watch Big 12 because you're from West Virginia, this would have been like TCU winning the the Big 12 this year. And you're like, where'd they come from? And then they make a big run in the tournament. Now, maybe Oregon State's not as bad as what TCU was, but to put it in to put it in perspective for you, I love Oregon State. They're probably the team, um, you know, again, by the time this comes out, we'll know their fate. But they're probably the team that I would look at from this weekend that I would say, I want them to win the tournament because it would just make this year so much better. Just the craziness of March actually culminating into a team that should have not been in the tournament winning the national championship. I, I feel like I, I kind of need that craziness in my life to really make it feel like March. Do you know what day one is reserved for in conference uh, tournament week for all conferences? Teams that aren't going to make the tournament. That's what it's reserved for. Like, I mean, they, I, I don't understand how, like, I can even describe how great their run has been. The, I mean, Loyola, Chicago, everyone, everyone mm-hmm. thought they were going to beat Oregon State handedly. But Oregon State, by the time this recording comes out, we'll know what happens. I really hope they win, though. I, I really hope they win. They're, they're, I, I truly think, other than Dustin Johnson winning the Masters back in November, which is crazy that the Masters is two weeks away. I'm laughing, but I cannot believe my favorite week of the year is happening four months apart from each other. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, I'm sorry, DJ, but you only got to hold on the jacket for four months instead of a year. Um, but other than that and this, I don't know what other story has been as great as this has been in, in sports in the last couple months. I mean, just quick, you know, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole like we do sometimes with this, but seriously, can you think of anything other than those two things that are as great stories in the last couple months in the sports world as these two things have been? No. I mean, you nothing of this magnitude, at least. I mean, yeah, you hear the little stories of uh, this win, this victory, but... Super Bowl would be the only thing that maybe even close because Tom Brady went in a seventh ring. That's why. Maybe, maybe that's the only other thing. I mean, you can feel how you want about Tom Brady, but doesn't it almost kind of get boring hearing the same narrative with Tom Brady every single year? I have a lot of respect for him, but it, it kind of goes back to that, okay, okay, we get it. You have won endless number of championships. You are the best of all time. We are done debating it. Please retire so we can watch somebody else win a Super Bowl. I would like to see the joy on Ryan Tannehill's face because the fact of the matter is, is Tom Brady's family looks at him and goes, "What are we? What are we? Why do we have to play into February every year?" And it's it's just not the same. But look, you gotta love you gotta love these. And, and I mean, Oregon State is just that they're a Cinderella team. And and even though they're not necessarily thought maybe as such because they are from a major conference, they are. 
And again, I would love to see him beat Houston. I have nothing against Houston. Uh, I know we've kind of picked against them because they don't feel like a team that should be here, but they've clearly proven their worth too. And when it comes to the Syracuse game, you're absolutely right. I've said this for every single game that Syracuse, well, at least the West Virginia game watching it, but even the Houston game too. How do you beat a zone? You pass the ball quickly. You don't hold the ball. You don't dribble. You don't dribble into traffic. You pass the ball and make shots. That's how you beat a zone in basketball. I don't understand where that concept has been lost over the past five to 10 years, but Houston did that. Syracuse shot like nothing. And well, now we have Houston in the elite eight. And again, by the time this comes out, potentially a final four. So that, that ends Syracuse. <laughs> Syracuse's uh, lights out shooting game. 14, uh, nine, nine minutes left in the first half. So I talk about if you didn't watch the Loyola-Chicago-Oregon State game, shame on you. If you didn't watch the Arkansas-Oral Roberts game, I'm sorry, you're an idiot. And, you know, uh, did, did you watch it? Yeah, that was uh, – right. I didn't want to have to call you an idiot. I didn't want to have to do that. That was peak college basketball. Yeah, that's as close as you can come to experiencing peak college basketball in March in Oral Roberts – they had the opposite bounds where Kawhi in the, <laughs> the playoffs two years ago had the bounce that favored him. He had the bounce in Adams where it just rolled the other way. And if it would have rolled the other way, that would have been one of the craziest buzzer beaters you ever seen. But that was a good shot though for his last shot, Arkansas getting the lead at 62 60 with two minutes left. I could not believe it because they kept scrapping the whole end of first half and kept scrapping through the second half and they just kind of find themselves right where we thought they would be. We didn't expect them to have that close of a game, really, let's be honest, with Oral Roberts. But Oral Roberts, uh, it, it sucks that they didn't win um, to you know, advance uh, as, as a school 15 seed. That would have been amazing. Um, the amount of times you probably would have heard that over a 24-hour span, 48 hours, would have been ridiculous. But... They play Baylor, um, and man, the must bus. It is, um, it's, it's going down. Highway. You can't stop it, man. Uh, their first uh, Elite Eight since 1995. I love this team. I love this team. I think they're going to end up beating Baylor. Another game that we're going to know the outcome by the time the recording comes out. But I don't know, man. Baylor, they, uh, <laughs> I did not think it would look as easy as it for, uh, as it did for them at times in the second half against Villanova. But I'll tell you what, and this might be a hot take Jay Wright, ever since winning that national championship with Chris Jenkins, taking that last second shot against North Carolina. I almost wonder at times if him winning the national title has relieved the pressure that he used to face of losing in the tournament because he had the national championship team and then he had the great team the year after that making the final four. But I don't know. I, th I think uh, they had a chance. They were up seven. They were up seven with nine minutes left in the second half and Baylor just kind of dominated inside the paint like, like they typically do. But whew, Arkansas, the must bus is coming and uh, that's a freight train ready to hit someone. I know I said Oregon State was kind of the team that you that you look at and say you want to see them win because they're the great story. 
but I think my favorite team left in, in this is Arkansas. They, they are just, they are fun to watch. And that game against Oral Roberts, we said it already, but that, that is classic college basketball. That is, that is the fun game. And we said it on our episode last week. We wouldn't have cared who won that game because either way you were going to love the story. We love Arkansas because they're a fun team. They're a great team. Or you love Oral Roberts because, well, they're just a great story. I, I think Arkansas has what it takes to make it all the way, but this is definitely going to be their toughest test playing Baylor. And of course, by the time you are listening to this, we'll know how that works out. But when, when Baylor comes to play, they come to play. And, and that was one of the instances against Villanova that they did it. They showed up and they dominated. And, and I think that could potentially be a, a problem for Arkansas but look, Arkansas has shown that they are no strangers to having to come back and be scrappy when they have to be, which is going to put them in good position against Baylor. I think this is the best game left, in my opinion, when it comes to the Elite Eight, at least this four-game slate, because, well, these are two teams that uh, that really could both win a national championship. And, and I, I really think this is going to be a deciding factor of, of teams that could get to the title. Can I ask you a question? If they beat Baylor... And once again, I hate to keep harping on it, but we need people to know the outcome will have happened by the time this comes out. Do you think if they get to the final four and they beat Baylor, that no matter who they play between Oregon State and Houston, they're just going to make the championship? Because Arkansas is so dang good. I mean, I, I don't understand. If people haven't watched college basketball other than the two-week time period of March, you don't understand really how good Arkansas is because you can look at their record and fill out a bracket or do office pools. And you can be like, Oh, they are a three C they're a good team. You really truly don't understand how good they are this year, unless you watch them play because they they're so fast at times as well. It, it, it almost feels like I'm watching the flash at times, like from the DC because they, wear you out. they really do. And, and, you know, I, I don't think that, I mean, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say, I mean, either either one, Oregon State or Houston, I think the matchup favors Arkansas, but I also feel like it favors Baylor, and and that's why I think whoever wins that game is the favorite, looking at a national championship, because I I just don't think Houston or, or Oregon State have that same depth and that same ability to do it. Now Baylor, they can do it different ways. They can beat you in the paint. They can shoot too, but. I think whoever wins that game is almost a lock for the national championship. Personally, um, again, nothing against Houston, nothing against Oregon State, but it, it really feels like that's the best of the games left, and you you just have to you just have to roll with it. If you didn't pick Arkansas or Baylor for your championship, I'm sorry, but you know those who picked Ohio State, you were done in the first round. So, all the power to you. Uh, 2110, seven minutes left. It's incredible. Next Monday is going to be Championship Monday. But let's move on to the West um, real quick. But before I do that, Ryan, I got a uh, little surprise for you. Um, and I'm sure you're going to love this. So I'm going to do something. And I want you to tell me who, who wrote this. <laughs> this year's NCAA's tournament has been so exciting. It's been so unpredictable. Congratulations, and then tagged all the eight teams left in the Elite Eight for make for making it to the Elite Eight. Can't wait for Monday and Tuesday night. That can be that could be a lot of people. It could be pretty much any 
any person that has the egg as their avatar on Twitter with like a thousand numbers behind their name, who's like just trying to get a shout out from one of those teams, or it could be Magic Johnson. It's 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 one of those two. It's any man or woman that has a Twitter with no profile and is just trying to get a shout out from teams, or it's Magic Johnson. That's that's the only things it could be. Yes, it is Mr. Plain uh, Magic Johnson. Mr. Uh, just says nothing of substance. And, I mean, if you want to talk about teams in the Elite Eight, let's talk about Gonzaga. They are the third team. I want you to tell me, I don't know um, if you can name the other two teams in March Madness history, the only other two teams ever to make it to the Elite Eight undefeated. To the Elite Eight undefeated. Yeah, it's a very special company. It's only happened for two other teams ever. The the one Kentucky team. Yep, Kentucky 2015. Uh, the only guy I remember on that team is Willie Cauley-Stein. I don't yeah. know why. Willie but stein and the, uh, the uh, Harrison twins. Yeah, I, I don't know why. But if you're like, oh, yeah, that Kentucky team that was undefeated, I'm like, oh, yeah, Willie Cauley-Stein's team. I don't know why, but he's my guy. Um, I, I'm, I, I don't know which one but I'm going to say one of John Wooden's UCLA teams. That's a great guess. Great guess. But 1991 UNLV. So those are the only two teams ever to make it to the elite eight undefeated. And Gonzaga is in that special company, right? We all feel like they should make it to the championship, but let's put that Kentucky team as a reference. Okay. Kentucky makes it to the final four in 2015 as undefeated, who do they run into? The buzzsaw in Wisconsin and Frank Comiskey and Sam Decker. I think, I personally think they're they're going to end up beating USC, who they crushed Oregon, crushed Oregon. I've never seen perimeter shooting like that in the first half in this tournament so far, and they were up 31-19 at half. And it felt like, okay, I can go to bed knowing the outcome of this game is just going to be a 21-point win. And it was almost a 20-point win. <laughs> it was almost a 20-point win. It was a 16-point win. I I don't know. I mean, Gonzaga. I mean, it, it feels like it feels like we should be crowning them at the, as the national championship. But at the same time, I feel like they still have – to make it to the final four and at least get to the championship game. Because if they don't, I, I don't understand why we keep putting historic numbers. It, it's amazing that they've made it to the elite eight and they're the third undefeated team to ever do that in the tournament, uh, you know, be an undefeated team and make the elite eight. But I, I don't know, man, Jalen Suggs is fantastic. They play great defense. They, they play really great pressure, but I don't know. I just, I really, I don't, I don't know what it is. I just don't buy them unless they're handing the trophy on the platform and ending next Monday. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but UNLV didn't win that title, right? Uh, bad radio. Let me. Or did they? LV 1991. Because I know Kentucky didn't. I, I distinctly remember that because, I, as you mentioned, Wisconsin was <laughs> was uh, near perfect that game. No, they, they did not. Um, no, they lost to Duke. Okay. 
So history is not on their side. And I know this is one of those meaningless statistics that you say, oh, well, you know, they could be the team to break. I mean, everything's kind of working against Gonzaga. The fact that they've never made it to the championship, won a championship. And then they also have to deal with this. Oh, you will be the undefeated. I think there's more pressure on an undefeated team than there is on teams that have five losses. Because you you almost feel like you have to be perfect. The other teams feel like they don't have it's not that they don't have as much to play for, but they have less to worry about because they've lost. They know what that feels like. And sure, it would be crushing in the elite eight. No one will deny that, but you just kind of go out there and play. You don't have that pressure of, can we do this and finish undefeated? It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, like we talked about at the beginning of this whole tournament, what is winning the college basketball tournament, men's or women's either side? It's winning six games in a row. You have to win six games in a row. And it sounds easy for a team that's undefeated. But there's but there's ex- extremely more pressure because when you get to the final four, you've won that four or you've won that five, maybe even moving into the championship game. But that other team doesn't feel as much pressure. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that Gonzaga is going to lose, but history doesn't favor them here. And and honestly, I I I don't think they're going to be crowned it. I, I honestly think that it's going to be one of the Arkansas or Baylor teams. It's it's not that Gonzaga is not good enough to do it. It's that that pressure will eventually crumble them, and, and they're going to lose either the Elite Eight or Final Four game. I would tend to agree with you, because unless we're sitting here next week when we record and they're playing in that championship game next Monday night, I don't think either one of us think they're going to win. Because – even if you watch the games, they're, they're telling you Gonzaga, who's going to stop Gonzaga? Well, it could be USC, to be honest with you. USC has great perimeter shooting. Andy Enfield's a great coach. Andy Enfield, by the way, you know who he coached, don't you? Dunk City, Florida Gulf Coast. <laughs> I'm tired of hearing that little statistic every game. I understand that he coached them, and they made it to the Sweet 16 as a 15 seed. I get it. I understand. He's a good coach. But the only team that I can see beating Gonzaga other than USC is Michigan. And we're about to move into the East region. I'm glad that I haven't jinxed Michigan to the point that they've been knocked out at this point yet, because I jinxed Illinois clearly, but Michigan beating Leonard Hamilton and Florida state yesterday, that, that was, it was almost too easy. And I'm starting to wonder if Michigan is going to be hosting the trophy because I feel like either Arkansas, Michigan, or to be honest with you, the only other team that I could see hosting a trophy, and I know they're 11 seed, is UCLA, Alabama. I, I don't know what it is about UCLA, but they're playing really well, just like Oregon State. They're playing they're, – they're making their free throws. I mean, last night – when there was two minutes left in the second half, they were nine for 12 from the free throw line while Alabama was two for 19. That's a key statistic that you have to have, obviously. And by the way, if you watch that UCLA Alabama game, it was almost gross at times because it was just fouling nonstop with four minutes left in the second half. And also to get to overtime as Alabama did, that was unbelievable. There was two seconds left. They drove up the court and um, I, I know the, uh, player's last name is Reese hits a 
clutch three to take it into overtime. Um, but I mean, the, I, I know it sounds crazy to say UCLA could beat Gonzaga, but I feel like they could. I also think Michigan is just, what have we said for the last month and a half talking about Michigan? When they play really well, it's hard to beat them. When they play really bad, you can kick their ass. And they've played really well the last two weeks. They lost in the Big Ten tournament game to Ohio State. But in the big scheme of things, that doesn't look like it's mattered. And that's helped them get back on track. Yeah, well, I think the I think the interesting thing about Michigan is exactly that, that when they play well, they play extremely well. But I, I don't know. There's still this feeling to me that the team that's going to win is going to be Baylor or Arkansas. Either way, I, I think Michigan's going to make the championship. I think they've been too good not to do it. Uh, I think that they may ultimately – they would play Gonzaga, right, if they moved to the Final Four. That's the way the bracket were. Okay, so I think that's how that that Gonzaga's run is going to end. But I, but I think that also makes for an interesting game in the Final Four. I really do because that's kind of what you want to see in some regards. Because when you watch two teams that are you know maybe like a twelve and an eight seed, I don't know whatever it is it doesn't always have that same luster and sometimes it's a little messy, but when you have two one seeds, Michigan and Gonzaga, you know, you're going to get some very tough, great basketball and it it's going to be exciting to watch. I really think that's what you're going to see. And, and Michigan proved that again this weekend that again, when they're good, they're good. And I think that will continue, but they're also kind of due for a letdown because they, they seem to be that team that they get really good. And then you watch them in a game and you're like, that's not Michigan. So will it come in the final four? Could Gonzaga beat them and move to the championship? I don't know. But Michigan also looks really good right now. So I wouldn't be shocked to see them holding a trophy next next Monday either. But the, the thing is, is, is Michigan just to me, they feel like they're ready for that letdown at some point. Um, which is funny that we talk about two teams that are ready for a letdown who could potentially be playing each other in the final four with Gonzaga and Michigan, but what I'm hearing is, is that there's going to be a lot of fun basketball to be had. Pretty much before we wrap up on basketball, we can recap some news, news and some clip notes about the elite eight, if you will, three teams in the PAC 12, who would have thought that let's be honest, who would have thought that three teams would be in the elite eight from the Pac-12, if anything, it would have been the Big Ten, maybe even the SEC. Also, UCLA, here's a fun little nugget for you. The last time a team that played on the first four game um, where, you know, it, it, they play on that weird game in Dayton and then they, you know, they play on that Thursday or Friday, whatever it is. UCLA is the first team to make the Elite Eight and Sweet 16 since BCU in 2011 that's a team that went to the final four and then another interesting little nugget oregon state is the highest seed to make elite eight since missouri as a 12 seed in 2002 um and i mean you know right now they're down 31 17 so it's not looking great i it's it's funny because i let off this show talking about the pac-12 and how not, not necessarily how abysmal the Pac-12 was, but we've been so high on the Big 12 and Big 10 this year. Uh, and typically something we are with like the ACC too, because the ACC has that. But 
if, if you would have bet at the beginning of the season or it really maybe even two weeks ago and said everyone's going to hear a great listen of a chopper go over the top of my apartment, so enjoy that. But it would have not been the Pac-12. You, you probably would have bet on the ACC having three teams in the final potentially before you would have bet the Pac-12 having it. And you could have made some serious money if you were gambling on it too, because there is no shot that anybody would have said, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, UCLA will make it. Oregon State, absolutely. Or, like you said, Oregon State was supposed to be last in the Pac-12. And again, for the 18th time, we will know the outcome when this comes out. But talking about them as a potential Final Four team and a, and a regional champion – that thought is just absolutely crazy. And I think Beaver fans have to be happy about that. But what I'm hearing is, is there's a lot of exciting basketball left tonight as we're recording, but also tonight as this episode's out. So you have a lot to watch leading into the weekend. Also, I forgot to mention first time since 2004, the ACC does not have a team in the elite eight. Um, Good. So that's pretty incredible. Um, Good. If they want to hear um, our next episode, Ryan, and, and hear our final four previews uh, for our next episode and hear our championship preview coming up as well, how are they going to do that? How, where are they going to follow us? Well, I can tell you this. We're going to have some hot takes. We're going to have some preview. It's going to be a fun show this upcoming week. Uh, but to listen to those shows, you have to find us on Apple or Spotify to Ryan Sports Show, whichever your preferred platform is, make sure you're subscribed, you're rating, and you're reviewing the show on there. Takes a couple minutes, but it means a lot to see those ratings. So make sure that you are subscribed, rating, and reviewing. Again, quick two-second things, just drop five stars in there. If you're so inclined to leave us a review, that would be fantastic. But make sure you're following us on social media as well. We're going to be lighting up Twitter again, uh, like we were this past weekend, because, well, it's March, baby. And it's going to be April soon. And we have a lot to talk about with college basketball, everybody's favorite. So make sure you're following us on all social platforms to Ryan Sports Show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. To Ryan Sports Show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And make sure you're subscribed to us on Apple and Spotify. And we'll see everyone on Friday. Love you, March, baby.